Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. When life gives you lemons, what do you do with them? Over here at The Squeeze, we We talk talk about it. it. everyone happy wednesday welcome back to another episode of the squeeze i am tay and i am taylor thanks for being here yeah we're happy you're here yeah and boy do we have a fun episode for you yeah we're kind of geeked out ourselves about this one yes we are very excited for this episode oh actually before we get into today's episode i also just kind of dropped the ball on taylor that i just booked our first EMDR therapy sessions. You did just drop Not that together, separately. Okay. For anybody listening and for myself, what exactly is EM, e, EMDR? EMDR. EMDR. Yeah. Let me like read. We've talked about it before, but what? Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy is a mental health treatment technique. This method involves moving your eyes a specific way while you process traumatic memories. EMDR's goal is to help you heal from trauma and other distressing life experiences. Wow. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. So I'm very excited for us because Dr. Amen recommended that we do this Mm -hmm. for like a while back and, you know, we've been gone and traveling and all this stuff. So um, we're pumped to... I'm pumped. I just told you. So I don't know if you're pumped, but um me. Yeah. Um you're probably nervous. That's why yes. I, that's why I'm going first so then I can tell you about it. Okay. Are are we going on the same day? No, I'm going one day and then you're going the next day. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you'll have a day to process. Okay. Interesting. How to do it. Okay. Well, wish me luck everyone. Yeah, but it's supposed to be a very healing thing and I talked with the therapist this morning and she mm. Seems so sweet. Um, and it's over Zoom. Oh. Fun fact. Oh. Yeah. So. What? Excited to report back on this. Huh. And our experience with it and kind of learn more about it from her. Because I know about it. But, you know, it's kind of hard to, like, explain it. And she was saying, she even told me, it's kind of hard to explain, like, how scientifically it works. It just works. So. Okay. Yeah. I'm in. I don't think I have a choice, but I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This week's episode. Yes. We have somebody on that we both are massive fans of. Yes, very much. We're very, very excited to speak with none other than J.P. Sachs. Yes. Woo! You may know him from a lot of of songs. Yeah. Very emotional songs. Uh, His music is... um, He's super vulnerable in his music and talks about a lot of things. Um, All of his music is like lived experiences. Yeah. Real life stuff. And yeah, sitting here, I mean, we recorded with him for like over two hours. So we had to cut that down a little bit. Super fun. In addition addition to being an an incredible singer songwriter, he is a freaking fun dude. Yeah. We had so much fun and we just kept sidebarring. That's why we were um, (laughs) taping taping for so long. But I just love how honest he is. And he's just like, he's just, just himself. Just not that he doesn't care, but he's just like, I am me and I love who I am. Yeah. And he's not afraid to share that. But we dove into some pretty um, deep topics with him. Yeah. Um, a lot of like personal stuff. Um, but also he gave great advice for like men's mental health as well. Um, about finding an outlet. Clearly his is, you know, music. Yeah. And writing songs. We got some little fun behind the scenes stories of some of the songs that he's written the lyrics behind them, what they what they mean. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. But just we also dive into grief. Yeah. So for anyone listening, it's yeah, he's he lost his mother a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about that um, and his grieving process. And uh, yeah, I think it'll be um, a good listen. So yeah, it's a fun episode. We had a lot of fun 
taping it and a lot of fun after with our boba. Oh my gosh. Guy is obsessed with boba. He is obsessed with boba. I'm obsessed with boba. Boite is not obsessed with boba. I do not get it. He does not like. It's like you're chewing these slimy rubber balls. I, I don't get it's it okay. at all. It's we'll, okay. We'll work through it. We'll work okay. through it. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. All right. Catch you on the other side. Hello, hello. Welcome to The Squeeze. We are joined by somebody that we're very excited about because both Girl Tay and Boy Tay are massive fans of this person, truly. That's what we call ourselves, Boy Tay, Girl Tay. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's, you know. The name and the fan in the fandom? We've been, we've been like, chit-chat for 30 minutes. You said nothing. <laughs> Is it true? <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah, it gets confusing at times. Um, so we just, uh, we have to differentiate it. So I'm Boyte. This girl is Girl Tay. Tay. And everybody watching and listening, this is JP. You may know him as JP Sachs. Thank you for being here with My us My absolute pleasure. Do you guys find that like navigating enmeshment, which usually happens in marriage, I've heard, is like made more challenging by your shared name. <laughs> <laughs> we are pretty. We we are pretty enmeshed. Yeah, I think if there was an enmeshment problem, it's definitely we, us. Yeah, uh-huh. we kind of do like everything all the time, like twenty four seven together. And yeah. now we even work together, so there's just just yeah. even more. But yeah, that probably. And then on top of all that, yeah, we literally are the same person. It yeah, is, yeah, it's Leave a lot. Like, well, I was reading a book recently that argued that there's actually a very healthy form of codependence. Hmm. And that codependence as a buzzword has been used as a negative yeah. as of late. Yeah. But there's actually very much such thing as healthy codependence. Oh, that's cool. So that's good to hear. He's like, I like to hear that. You're, he's a, a little more codependent than I am. That's true. Yeah. They, true. they describe it was in this book, Attached. And there was a really cool anecdote they used about a baby or a child uh-huh. playing in a room. Uh-huh. And, uh, a kid could be playing alone in the room, not regarding their parent in any way, and just playing by themselves, perfectly happy and comfortable. But then as soon as the parent walks out of the room, the kid's like, mommy, daddy, where'd you go? Mommy, daddy gets all worked up. Yeah. But there's really actually no difference in the way they're playing yeah. because they weren't engaged with their parent. Yeah. They just knew they were there. Yeah. And that psychologically actually impacts us as adults too. Yeah. Like even if we're doing our own thing. Knowing someone's there that loves us, who is just even in the periphery, yeah, makes a difference in the comfort in which we confidently do our own thing, yeah. which is why you can be independent and codependent simultaneously. Wow, which I, seems like you guys. I relate to that a lot. I yeah. just like you around when I'm doing something. Yeah, you do. I appreciate that. Yeah. Whether physically or you know, yeah, yeah. emotionally around. Emotionally, yeah. I love that. I like that. So we like to start each <laughs> episode um <laughs> off with this little game called citrus got real i love games um this citrus got real i love the pun <laughs> that is jar. my kind of pun <laughs> that makes me happy this jar has some paper in it with questions mm-hmm. if you would like to pull okay one of those little guys out you can always tell the people that have used the mic before because the other people are like I know. Also, he definitely appreciated our citrus got real name. I know. Most I out of anybody no, so I genuinely far. really loved it. Yeah. Thank you. That was it. You got a genuine laugh out of that. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. As we discussed, I'm a horrible actor and a bad liar. <laughs> <laughs> like too bad of a liar. I'm too forgetful to be a liar. Yeah. I'm I'm compulsively honest 90% because of my values and 10% as a safety mechanism because I know if I lie about something, I'll forget that I've lied about it and I'll right. make a fool out of myself later. Yeah. <laughs> Your text is our hot dog sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, well, also, we've had this one. We've Have we? Done, we've done this one before. Yeah, because I remember being passionate about this answer. Oh, okay. Pull, let's pull another one then. I mean, quickly, if you have an answer, I'd love to hear it because I... My answer's no. Yeah, absolutely not. What happens when the bun breaks from the bottom, though, and then it's two pieces? Then it's a sandwich with a hot dog in it. So then it goes from a hot dog to a hot dog sandwich. <laughs> I disagree. I think I need the bread attachment. Yeah. Well, that just seems like a... I'm not sure if it's a sandwich. It's just a bad hot dog. You're right. It's just a, a broken hot dog. Broken hot dog. <laughs> Yeah, it hasn't become something new. He's broken. I, let, let's let's try a new <laughs> one because I I don't like that one. I just think it's so obvious. Great. 
All right. Question number two. What is your love language? Ooh. Okay. All of them. It's all obviously of them. all of them. Love it. It's all of them depending on who I'm being loved by and what kind of mood I'm in. Oh. I like my I like my love languages in in different iterations from different people. Oh. Is huh. what is your love language? Is that what you want in a partner or is that what um you're best at giving? I think your love language is like how you want to receive love. How you or, want to receive. But I think it's kind of both. Wait, no, I think it Yeah, I'm trying to think how that yeah, I guess both. Like if I, mean, I, I were to say like my love language is acts of service because I that's how I show my love to you. Right. We typically do want what we're best yeah, at. Yeah, but isn't it loving to shape your love in the way someone knows how to receive it? For sure. For sure. Wow. Like I would say I have a malleable love language. Like, if I fall in love with someone who just hates compliments, but I'm like, I'm a writer, I can give you like really, really ornate, articulate compliments. Right. And they're like, I don't like that. Yeah. Even if that's my like, love language. Yeah. To give, if I keep giving, and it's not all that loving. Yeah. That is true. There are people in my life that like, I want to hug from if shit's going wrong. Mm -hmm. So like, I could be a physical touch guy. But yeah. There are also people in my life that I do not want to hug me if things are going wrong. <laughs> right. There are people in my life that like, you know, the acts of service, the gifts can be nice. Yeah. Yeah. But it depends what they are. Yeah. It's all very circumstantial. Yeah. yeah. And I like all of them. Yeah. I think most people like all of them. Yeah. 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 We definitely differentiate. And I am trying to get better at what I know hers is because I do not naturally do that. And that is is acts of service. She likes receiving acts of service. Yeah, I'm very much like just physical touch and words of affirmation. No, you're more so words than physical touch. Okay. Definitely. And I'm not a wordy person. Mm -hmm. So. But her acts of service isn't like, I'll go to the grocery store and come back with flowers for her. But that's not what she wants. She wants a surprise with like the dishes being done. Mm. Yeah. Or like, chores. yeah, chores. The trash taken out. Super chory person right here. <laughs> the, the other day, oh, I, I like a clean house. Yes, you do. You, um, you started putting away, I think you like your shoes or something the other day. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, that gets her going. Yeah. I have a question. Okay. So is it, so let's say Taylor, poor Taylor, was mm-hmm. to hire someone while you were away to do all the dishes and uh-huh. clean up the house. Would that feel as loving as if he had done it himself when you got home? I think so. Because it was, yeah, it would I be the thought. I don't think you would care too much. No, the house is clean and he thought, he thought about what I would like. He thought about my feelings. I think that's a truthful answer. Yeah. Got it. So it's like not about the, it's the not self-sacrifice. About him, yeah, no, it's, it's not just, about him physically doing it. Yeah. But, she just wants me to think about it. She just wants me to be think aware that, you know, the entry is a little messy right now. I think all of the love languages are really just a mechanism of making someone feel considered. Yeah. Yeah. And we are all have different ways that we feel considered yeah, based sure. on our past and our experiences. I think, I don't know if this exists and maybe it does within the world of, you know, the psychology of our loving relationships, but I think equally important to love languages is conflict languages. Mm. And I think oh, it's yeah. equally important to talk about really early in relationships. I don't think I. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of that. I mean, I, I don't know of if it's it a thing in that saying. But like conflict languages, for example, like when shit goes wrong, are you the? I'm not going to talk to you for the next 24 hours yeah. because if I say something right now, I'll say something I don't mean, yeah. and I it's loving for me to step away. Yeah. Or are you the? Oh, I hate that we've just done something that hurts each other, and we're going to fix it right now, and we're yeah. going to talk about it, and we're not going to go to bed angry. Yep. Like how you naturally exist in conflict, I think is yeah almost as if not more important than how you love one another. Yeah, I mean, we, we did talk about something similar to that recently with somebody where it was right off the top when you start like dating somebody or getting to know somebody, just let them know like, hey, just so you know, I do this, oh, and I want you to be aware of that. Yeah. And with Dr. Sasha, that's what it was. Yes. We had, um, uh, she's a psychiatrist who specializes in ADHD and she has ADHD. Mm. So we were talking about how ADHD and like relationship works. Yeah. 
But I think that kind of yeah. applies to this where it's like, yeah, right off the bat, talk about your love languages, but talk about your your conflict too and how you, you know. Yeah. I like that. Do you yeah. two have compatible conflict approaches, languages? <sighs> um, compatible? compatible? Yes. <laughs> yes, different. because they're different. Yeah. Oh, I see. How are they different? <laughs> I go mute. Yeah, I am more like I want to talk about this now. Right, and he's very good at like saying what he thinks, and like he knows what he's feeling right in the moment. And I'm like, I get so flustered, and I'm like, wait, I just like need a second because I can't say like I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know like what I'm feeling. I have to like take a second and yeah, and process then I it. have to learn to be okay with that yeah. and give that space because. It's, you know, that when I like hear that, I'm like, no, I need to talk about this now. Like, yeah. And that doesn't do well with her. Yeah. Or like he would get annoyed that I, he's like, talk, like you're not saying I'm like, anything. I want to hear he's your like, feelings. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're literally not talking. I want to know how you feel. Yeah. And that just makes her go more in the show. Yeah. 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 Well, which is great because you were like my first partner that actually like did want to hear what I had to say. So I was like, I feel safe, but I don't know what I'm feeling. So I don't know how to say sure. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it does. It, it ends up working out. It because, works out because we both we don't like yell. Yeah, she I mean, her her time that she needs, uh, you know, gives me a moment to simmer down, think about how to best approach this. So then by the time we do have the conversation we're not talking about like going to sleep and waiting till the next day to talk about it sometimes you know 20 30 minutes yeah they just process it yeah i mean it seems extremely healthy that you guys know that about each other <laughs> and I, i'm boy tay and i have that in common that that has been something i've struggled with in relationship yeah to recognize that someone not being able to have a conversation with me in the moment I want to have it yeah. does not mean that they're hiding from me or being like trying to because it's painful to yeah. like, want to deal with it right away and have to like sit with that. Yeah. yeah. But that it's actually someone who isn't ready to lovingly meet you in a moment. It's mm. more loving for you to say like, give me 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Like I have a song called Tension and it was about me misunderstanding this a little bit. I can see in mm. retrospect, it was me misunderstanding it. The first lyric of the song is, you say things you don't mean too damn convincingly, then take it back and expect that it won't stick to me. It was just mm. an argument. No, I was the truth in it. I want to yeah. believe you, but you came off so articulate. Yeah. And looking back, it was me asking someone to communicate with me before they were ready. And then yeah. them right. saying something that they didn't mean because they were really angry. Right. And then when they were ready to talk, saying like, no, I didn't mean that I was really angry and me struggling to believe them. Yeah. But now I understand that it was actually kind of on me. Wow. Yeah for asking them to meet me before they had arrived to themselves in a way that felt sincere. Yeah. Does that happen often where you like, you learn something about yourself through your writing and your songs? Well, I feel like that's a very obvious question, but like where you maybe had like a take or like a, a position um, while writing a song and in retrospect, you, you see it differently you know, yeah. after some time. I try and avoid strong opinions in my songs. Okay. Because I really don't think that they're meant to be advice or meant to be suggestions. Songs are definitely not suggestions. And for the most part, they're not usually good ideas. They're just truths. Yeah. And I think people misunderstand that about songs sometimes. Like they look to songs for advice on how to navigate yeah. their emotions and their personal experience. Songs can be really powerful in that they meet you where you are and that they're another human's experience of their emotions that they're able to articulate in a song. Yeah. But it doesn't mean doesn't, you should aspire right. to whatever's being felt in that song. Yeah. Because it's likely whoever wrote it, myself included, is going through things that are as messy and complicated and flawed as what we're all going through. Yeah. The difference is we've just synthesized it in this three and a half minute thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something you said earlier that sparked a thought when you were saying that, you know, it was new to feel safe in that conflict uh -huh. and, and know that like you could step away or you could have a conversation and be met lovingly. I think that's so real because often what it takes to make a dysfunctional relationship functional 
like if you're in a dysfunctional relationship, a, a toxic one, a misunderstood one, like a, yeah. one that is not working. Yeah. The strategies to make a dysfunctional relationship functional. Once you are in a healthy, functional, communicative relationship, you apply that, apply those same strategies, and it makes a functional relationship dysfunctional. Mm. I've seen that happen. It's true. It's a profound statement. I mean, we were talking about this earlier, but like we're getting free therapy now. Yeah. I'm so, as I said, I'm <laughs> deeply uneducated. I barely graduated <laughs> high school. You're like, I want to clarify. I just think about my feelings a lot. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love it. That's great. <laughs> if you're able to write them down. Did you like grow up in a musical family or did you just? Yes and come? no. Okay. Um, so neither of my parents were musicians. Okay. But my grandfather was. Okay. So yeah. there was the concept of being a musician, not being a life-ruining decision. Okay. Which was helpful to me when I yes. told my parents at 16 that I wanted to be a musician. Yeah. Because at least there was a grandpa there who had built a life with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have to navigate a challenge a lot of artists do, which is convincing their parents that they're not ruining their life. Right. Yeah. Although they were still terrified. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet. What did he do? He was a cellist. Oh, my gosh. He was really good at it. That's so cool. Really cool cellist. Wow. Dang. Really uh, fascinating, passionate, morally grounded human. Oh, I love that. Do, uh, you, do you play the cello at all? So badly. Okay. Like, um, I think if he was still alive, I wouldn't have played cello on my new album. Okay. Because I just would have been terrified of his... Do you play on your new album? I do. I play <gasps> some cello on my new album. Oh my gosh. I would have been embarrassed about his judgment <laughs> if he were still around. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. In a studio... With the opportunity to do a number of takes, yeah. yeah, I can I can play cello on a song. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. It was. It was really fun. Oh my gosh! I hear this now. I've probably heard it and don't even know it. No, it's the new one. Hasn't oh, come out okay, yet. hasn't come out yet. Yeah, new okay. album. Yeah. When? Your thoughts be feelings new cello. Have you have you announced when that comes out? Sometime in the fall. Okay. Have we announced that? No, but whatever. Okay, this doesn't come out for a little bit too. So I'm not super you'll... secretive. Okay. It's kind of like my whole thing. Transparency first. Love it. I love it. Okay. Well, if you change your mind on that, let us know. <laughs> okay, great. Your, your publicist is going to be like, um, we're going to take that back. Thank you. Um, okay. So obviously like prepping for this, we like watched, read interviews you've done stuff. And there was a few things that we want to talk about that. I just love that you've said, uh, you've kind of talked about growing up, you were you didn't like have a lot of friends and you were forced to figure out a relationship with yourself. And I feel like that is so profound of like a child, young adult to do because people don't do that until like they're like in adulthood. Like that, that saying that sentence, I feel like is very profound. Um, I'm not sure I would have described it that way as a 15 year old. Yeah. But there's a real blessing to not being popular young. Yeah. I have questions for you about this, by the way. Yeah, Um, I can definitely relate. uh, Because I wasn't validated for things that were ultimately unhelpful. Mm -hmm. It made Mm. being 13 and 14 and 15 very complicated. Yeah. But I think it was ultimately a really good thing. Because all of the versions of confidence and charisma and strength in men that I saw around me were so different than who I was learning myself to be. Yeah. And so I was like a 14, 15 year old. It was like, well, I guess I'm not going to be confident and I guess Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be strong. And I think, I guess I'm not going to be charismatic because I'm not this buff, like loud, funny at other people's expense, athletic, gets tons of girls. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. On the hockey team. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me you're Canadian. Yeah. Tell me you're Canadian. <laughs> and it, it took me like a, it took me a while to recognize that you could be sensitive and masculine. Yeah. You yeah. could be vulnerable and masculine. You could be soft and masculine. You could be affected. You could be emotional. You could be, you could be interested in emotional conversations. You could be interested in connectivity with other people. You could like want to stay up to 3 a.m. talking to your guy friends about what they were going through in their families or yeah. in their relationships. Like, that that didn't that that could go with masculinity like took me till I was older because I just didn't see it growing up. And something I wanted to ask you, Boy Tay, about is like, you know, you embodied this like masculine, like for lack of a a, a more nuanced term, like sex symbol. Yeah. 
for a generation of people. But like, you're also a vulnerable, sensitive, thoughtful man. Was there ever like a point in in your understanding of yourself where you felt like the perception of, you know, whatever role you were playing, like in pop culture and who you were, like, was a challenging thing to navigate and see as one thing? Yeah, I don't. It's a good question. Yeah. And I wonder if I even know the answer. I mean, I, I feel like I was able to separate like who I am, um, you know, from this character that I play. Um, but in addition, I do feel like, um, I do feel like Jacob was a very sensitive person as well and he he does have he does have the abs and the pecs and you know (laughs) those things but i do feel that i actually was i do have a lot of similarities with jacob um but yeah it was it was always important for me to to be vulnerable and um not have to be perfect but it took me a while to get to that place um because back back in the the height of things um i definitely did have instilled in my brain that like when i do an interview when i do a red carpet a talk show like you have to be perfect like cookie cutter mm-hmm. like yeah Nothing in your life is wrong. Yeah. Everything is great. You are happy. You are thankful. Mm. This is an unbelievable position. You have so many fans. You are one in a million with this opportunity. Like, you need to just smile and everything should be right. And I think for a long time, definitely through the height and thick of it, um, I was operating, telling myself that, and it only was an, until um, the last few years where I, you know, took a, a break from the industry and um, am now easing my way back in, but have a different mindset, which is just like, who cares? Like, everything doesn't have to be right. And I feel, I feel, I feel dumb for putting on a fake smile all the time and pretending like everything's great and I have all the answers. It's like, it it feels a whole lot better just being who you truly are, whether that's good or bad on the day. Yeah. To me, like, figuring out what even being vulnerable means was kind of challenging. Yeah. Because like, sure, we talked about it a lot, like, it's okay to be a man and be vulnerable. It's like, okay, but like, what does that even mean? Yeah. And like, for me, like, I, it's so funny because like, I, I talk about my feelings for a living. Yeah. But I do it in a way that I get to spend as much time as I want crafting how I'm projecting said feelings. Mm. So is that really vulnerable? Like, is it really vulnerable to take that much time to create how someone's going to perceive something? Is it vulnerability <laughs> more in the allowing yourself to be seen unprepared? That was, that's harder for me. And on the surface, superficial version of it, like when I thought like, okay, it's okay to be a man and be vulnerable. I was just like, okay, guys can cry. And yeah. I was like, well, maybe my vulnerability is saying like, I don't even know how to fucking cry. Right. Like, yeah. I haven't cried in years. Yeah. I wouldn't, I don't know how. Yeah. Like maybe that's the vulnerability. Cause like, I can't, I don't know how to just wear it. Yeah. You know, maybe it's, maybe the vulnerability is I've been trying I tried for so many years thinking that if I wanted to be confident and strong, that I needed to be something other than myself. Mm -hmm. That now like coming into my own and like being myself is confusing. And like it's not just like, okay, I'm gonna be vulnerable. Here's me crying about something. Yeah. I don't even know like I wouldn't even know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's vulnerable. You saying you don't even know what that means. Yeah. I think that is near the top of vulnerability is being okay saying i don't know or like i don't have the answer yeah just admitting that because us as men so many times like want to 
just always, you know, have the answer yeah, to everything. Fix, yeah. And yeah, yeah. yeah fixers. To, to me, like, even if, even when I thought like, oh, I have like reclaimed masculinity for myself as a 23 year old, because like I've accepted, I can just be a sensitive songwriter and I don't have to like be a super athlete or a hockey player. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I would still go into a relationship and think like my role in this relationship is to never be a burden to you and to try and help you in any way I can, because that's what it means to be a man. Yeah. Never be a burden to the people you love. Yeah. And help. Help. Yeah. Yeah. And then did that in a relationship and couldn't accept that I was being so much more of a burden by refusing to let myself be a burden. Like my refusing to let people deal with the parts of me that I was dealing with that scared me was making it way harder for them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because in my head, it was like, well, if I'm dealing with something that scares me, whether it be like my relationship with my parents or my insecurities around my job or my, my fear of failure or my fear of like lack of connectivity in my friendships, whatever it may be. Yeah. If I, if that's like hard for me. Yeah. I told myself like, well, I love this person. So I don't want to give them something hard. Yeah. This is hard for me. Why would I want to, why would I want to give them something hard for them? Right. Then that's not loving. Right. It's going to bring them down. Right. Where really would have, what would have been more loving is trusting them enough to say, Hey, I'm trying to figure this out and I can't. Yeah. Like, can we talk this through? Or you just like sit with me in this. Yeah. yeah. That would have created an intimacy that I couldn't even concept. At the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. I mean, that's something that we've definitely had to learn and has obviously taken time to learn. And I feel like we still are learning because I mean, it is scary sharing something, especially if it's like, I don't want to burden. Like that was always my thing is I would like wake up and just be having like a bad day and just be like, not wanting to burden Taylor, just trying to be like happy and whatever. And now we've kind of like talked through it enough, gone through it enough where sometimes I wake up and like my like depression is just horrible. Like I don't want to get out of bed. So I literally am just like, I'm having one of those days. And he's like, great, what do you need? Like, and that's just like where we're at yeah. now, which is yeah. just let me, so cool. Yeah, you've gotten so much better at that. Okay, I do want to ask about this and I want to get the quote right because Peg was <laughs> telling me about this and I really liked it because I've, and I've talked about it on this podcast um, before as well um, because I, I myself had a somewhat difficult, I don't want to relate it. Like I wasn't, I wasn't physically bullied a couple times, but, um, but I didn't have the easiest high school experience. Um, and a lot of it was because of what I did. And um, I say all the time that um, you look at, you know, the bullies or whatever in high school. And at least for me, you look at what are they doing today? And what were they making fun of you about? Mm-hmm. And you said this. Pay attention to the things people make fun of you for because they might actually end up being the thing that makes your life beautiful. For you, that was, correct me if I have this incorrect, but ginger, musician, sensitive. Um, For me, it was the fact that I, at the time in high school, I would get made of, made fun of for being shark boy and, you know, an actor and, you know, missing football practice because I have an audition and like, um, all this stuff. And not just from, not just from kids, like from the coaches. Um, and it's just when, when Tay told me about this quote from you, it just, I couldn't agree with it more yeah. because if you're honestly, if you're getting bullied and picked on for something, it probably means you're doing something right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and like more and more every day. Yeah. I look at my life and think, I fucking wish I could show 16 year old me this shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because 
I was so, I was so afraid of what being myself would mean that I tried really hard to be something other than myself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and people do that in much more profound ways than I did. For me, it just meant like, I don't know, trying to, trying to like harden myself, trying to like, I don't know, I have failed so hard that it doesn't even feel like I ever really existed as anything <laughs> other than just a failed attempt at other shit. But like, you thought about it. <laughs> You know, like there was moments on this last tour, like I played at the arena in Toronto for the first time and I was opening for John Mayer. And if I could show my like 15 year old self, like I told this story on stage, my first ever arena concert was in the arena in Toronto for Hillary Duff. Stop. Oh my gosh. Which I used to, Iconic. Never, which I never used to tell anyone because I was, thought I would be made fun of. Yeah. Right. I fucking loved Lizzie McGuire. Oh my yeah. gosh, yeah, he didn't. It's like, yeah. I'm pretty sure, like, my sexual awakening was a dream about Miranda from Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And so I was like, I loved the Lizzie McGuire movie. Yeah. Loved it. The movie was great. I feel like that's come back around in pop culture, which makes me happy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I went to the concert. My parents <laughs> took me. I had the time of my life. I bought the merch. <laughs> and then... Used to lie and say my first concert was the Rolling Stones. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but so there was something like really empowering for me as a 29 year old at the time. Yeah. Like on stage, same arena, saying very proudly, I came here for my first arena concert for Hillary Duff, probably 2007 or 2008. So funny. And like, I would love, I would love for 14 year old me to have seen that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He would well. have stoked. I love full circle moments like yeah. that. When was that last year? This was this was in March. Oh wow. Oh, like just. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. wow. Oh my gosh. Dang. Yeah. That's super cool. We were talking before this how addiction has played a role in both of our lives, also only children. Oh, can, out. Yeah, we can relate on that, which I you're a great only child. You're a, thank you. You're, great. you're a great only child. I that. <laughs> you seem like a great only child, also. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Obviously, this is a large question, but what impact has addiction kind of played on your life? Well, being an only child means your vantage point of your family is yours and yours alone. Mm hmm. Now, I know that when you have siblings, like every sibling has a different version of a family because they exist in the family in a different way. So it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean you have the exact same family because when you were born into a family with an older sibling, you're being born into a different family as you were as the oldest sibling. And I do understand that. But I do think there is something differentiating about your parents only being your parents and mm -hmm. not being able to talk to anyone else who has an understanding of what it meant to live in your house. Yeah. yeah. Like I was the only kid in my house. Yeah. and. We had a dog, but he didn't really fetch. It was kind of like antisocial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like one of ours. Yeah. He was a poodle. Okay. So like hypoallergenic, but also like anti-friendly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've heard that. He was like, yeah. Like I love cats, but he was a very like cat-like dog. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's Anyways, all that to say, he didn't, you know, have conversations with me yeah. about my family also dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the poodle. <laughs> I mean, in normal poodle years, I think he lived to like 19. Oh, wow. Fantastic life. Yeah. Okay. He and my dad held on there for a while. Wow. Um, so I wanted a little sister really badly. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the things that I've noticed about my life recently that are really good that I think are because of being an only child. Mm. I recognized quite young that if I didn't create my own family, like in my community, if I didn't create family out of my friendships, uh -huh. I wouldn't have one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think to this day, the thing I'm most grateful for in my life is the strength of my friendships. Mm -hmm. Like I have a lot of friends who feel like my family. I have a lot of friends who would hear me say they feel like my family and be like, what are you talking about? We're yeah. family. We are. Yeah. What do you feel like? Like yeah. they don't take offense. Yeah. yeah. And I have a lot of people in my life like that. And what I'm saying is I do think it's because I'm an only child that I was so intentional about yeah. creating friendships that sure. felt like my family. Yeah. And now I have that over the world and I'm really grateful for it. And when my friends have kids, I pretend they're my nieces and nephews. Oh, yeah. And again, they would get mad at me for saying pretend because they'd be like, what do you mean? Yeah. You're TOJP. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I relate to that a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And just like the fact of like, no one, like Taylor has one sister and like, you know, if their parents fight, they can like talk about it. And it's like the two of them. But with, if my parents are fighting, I'm, there's just like me. And then if one of them comes to talk to me about it, or if I'm listening to it, like I don't have anyone to like vent to yeah. about it. Yeah. And then my mom was an alcoholic for, not for her. I mean, like, so my mom was such a dichotomy because she was a really extraordinary woman Yeah, who lived an incredible life and had incredible stories and was a brilliant anthropologist and language teacher and traveled all over the world and did amazing things. Worked at a refugee camp in the Philippines and taught English in Peru for, you know, 15, 20 years and spoke like five languages and worked for the State Department and was this amazing woman. Yeah. It just so happened that my like nine to 17 adolescence coincided with her having an era of pretty extreme alcoholism. Yeah. Like I would get home from school and she'd just be blackout drunk all the time. Yeah. And my dad's way of dealing with this for the most part was just getting really high in the basement. Okay. So it'd be like drunk mom upstairs. Mm-hmm stoned dad downstairs my dad and i came up with this little like gamification of my mom's uh alcoholism which is uh if i would get home and she'd be really drunk one of us would bring up the word aruba to the other because we had taken a family vacation when i was like 10 to aruba and my mom had just gotten belligerently drunk at aruba and left me alone in a casino at 10 years old um (laughs) so this became a joke between my dad and i right um and whenever I would get home and it was like really bad, my dad would like say Aruba mm. or I would go downstairs and be like, Aruba? Be like, yeah. And yeah. that meant like, avoid your mom. Yeah. yeah. Or if she tries to talk to you, make sure you say everything right. Yeah. Because if you say the wrong thing, she could get violent or break shit or leave for three to four days. Yeah. yeah. And that absolutely framed the way I have navigated my intimate relationships since. Yeah. Thinking that if I say the wrong thing, everything will go to shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I still have to unlearn that to think that I can say the wrong thing to someone and that they're still going to meet me lovingly. Yeah. And that we can, I can like retract and work through things with someone else. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm still figuring that out. Did your mom struggle with that before you or is I there like really, a family history? I don't really know. Or? Okay. Probably. Yeah. I don't really know. I mean, not that that means anything, but people always, that tends to be, addiction tends to be a, yeah. Trickled. trickled I mean, my grandfather thing. definitely would have scotch with breakfast. Okay. Noted. But uh, he seemed he was still brilliant and functional. Right. But there was definitely scotch with breakfast. Right. Yeah. Well, that's probably not the vibe. Yeah. When, when did you lose your mom? January 2020. Oh, oh wow. wow. It's been like just over three years. Okay. Um, I also didn't drink till I was like 25. I was just going to ask that. Yeah, I was really afraid of it. Yeah, yeah, what is your relationship with? I mean, I, 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 I've never blacked out. I don't really. I like will have one drink, and I'm like, I don't like getting buzzed or like feeling out of control. I think because of my experiences with that. But yeah, I was gonna ask what, how your relationship. So with yeah, that is. my parents unintentionally did this reverse psychology thing with me, where mm-hmm. it's like alcohol's not cool because mom does it, and yeah. weed's not cool because dad does it. Yeah. So I was just not interested in either. Yeah. So I wasn't drunk till I was 25 years old. Yeah. Now I do feel like there's a certain reclaiming power for me in being able to drink and have it be healthy and in moderation. Yeah. Yeah. And that I can like allow myself to be like a little out of control with people I trust is actually kind of cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Although I did go to a bar in Highland Park the other night, drank a little too much with my friends. And then one of my friends bet me that she could get more phone numbers at the bar than I could. Oh, uh, I love this game. And I really stupidly agreed to this game. Yeah. And she's a hot girl. <laughs> so I lost. See, lost. we've done this. And I made a fool of myself in the process. <laughs> I mean, we haven't done this because I would obviously lose. But we we <laughs> did this to our friends. Our friends. Our married Married couple. couple. Husband and wife. We asked them, like... Who who could pull more guys? Mm-hmm. Marissa or Ryan? The husband or the wife? And they got in like a good 
they were both hitting on men. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Fun. Game. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think Ryan was trying to get the game to be played at a gay bar. Uh-huh. Is Ryan by? No. No. I love it. Yeah. No. It's just, it was uh, a fun game. He wears like a little low button. He looks like he has a little mustache. He looks like a little Italian. We love some harmless queer bait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the same couple who also had a competition with each other on who could get accepted to Raya first. And As they're married. If anybody works for Raya, yeah, they're married, happily married, uh-huh. but it just, they wanted People are to on know. There for friends. Yeah. yeah. Who could get accepted to Raya first. And to this day, love them. they have, neither one of them neither has of them. gotten an email back. No. Yeah. So I, I am on Ryan. You are? I am. Okay. I am indeed. We'll put in a good word for our married couple friends. I don't, I don't know anyone on there who's uh, in control of the membership process. But. <laughs> oh my God. No, it is quite an adventure. I can't imagine. I'll yeah. show you my Ryan later if you want. I, I've never seen it. That I, I haven't either. It would be it would be a really fun like first opening line to have boy Taylor and girl Taylor <laughs> message someone on my behalf. <laughs> this great. could be a fun game that yeah. would be pretty good and then if she ended up being the love of my life yeah well, we could credit this podcast could we marry you if you ended up getting married if you <laughs> dm the person on raya uh-huh. that i end up marrying yeah then absolutely you can marry us great Same deal. <laughs> like, like team team uh what's it called pastors uh-huh. no officiators the officiate yeah we would officiators yeah you'd be the we can tag team it yeah i officiated my best friend's wedding recently really how was that uh they're still married. So I'm, I think I'm married. That's good. That's good. I'm one for one. Setting a speech. That seems like a lot of pressure to me. I don't know if I could do that. I, I did. Um, I was a tad weepy. Yeah. Yeah. I was a tad weepy. Also, do I want to tell this story? I <laughs> can <laughs> just skip over it. It's a good story, though. I mean. Do I have to take it out? No, well, I haven't told it yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, this wedding was. Okay, well, note one, beautiful wedding, extraordinarily proud of my wonderful friends for finding each other and being madly in love. They met on our bowling team. They're the cutest. Wow. They met on a bowling team. Their vows were adorable. Yeah, I used to be on a bowling team. Stop. Although I'm horrible at bowling, but it was more of a social activity. Yeah. Um, Vows were gorgeous. Everything was beautiful. What made it particularly emotionally convoluted for me was my ex-girlfriend was in her wedding party. Oh, okay. So I had to like walk, watch her walk down the aisle. Oh, towards wow. me officiating wedding wow isn't that an adventure yeah your yeah. new boyfriend was there which made it a bit easier for everyone okay that should like be like the beginning of a rom-com or something yeah what happens in the rom-com i i haven't thought about what happens next but that's a really <laughs> good scene one guy officiating yeah. kind of quirky but handsome ginger right ex-girlfriend walks down the aisle is in the wedding party yeah. Hanging off of the new boyfriend the whole time as an emotional support for a blanket. Mm. Are they walking down the aisle together? Too? No. Okay. But just the whole thing. They night. did in the rehearsal, though. Okay. You know, it was actually like, in a way, a really beautiful thing because I got to see her feeling loved. Mm. And I got to see her in a life that she wants without having to have it be a life that I gave her. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Love that. We need more people like you. Yeah. That's arguable. <laughs> That's questionable. <laughs> I know this is different for everyone, um, but I I myself like haven't had to deal with grief mm-hmm. like at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Outside of like a family dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is real. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I cannot imagine. We we have two dogs. Cannot imagine that day. But yeah, like I haven't even lost a grandparent. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Are your, is your family just extremely healthy or are they just having babies young? Uh, definitely having babies young, but some of them do. You some have four them. grandparents. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I like knew half of my great grandparents. Damn. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I still have four grandparents. Um, both my parents. Um, so I just haven't, I haven't had to deal with grief Mm -hmm. yet. And I'm very, if I'm being completely honest, I'm worried about that day, but obviously the grieving process is different for everyone. But 
what was that like for you? And Sometimes. what is it like? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm I'm curious because I'm honestly terrified of having to go through that. Yeah, I mean, it's terrifying. Yeah. It's really scary. Yeah. One of the scariest things about it is if you don't let it happen, if you don't let yourself feel it, it gets worse. What I've realized recently is like when it first, like when something horrible first happens, like you lose a parent, it's so all-consuming of a feeling mm-hmm. that it's very tempting to just ignore it as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. To bury yourself in work, bury yourself in relationships, bury yourself in service to something other than facing just what you were not, going through. Yeah. What I've noticed kind of has happened is like at first the grief was like right here, right? Yeah. Like right, like bottom of my neck, top of my chest, like right there. And I didn't let myself feel it. And then so it slowly sort of started digging its way mm-hmm. into every part of me yeah. and every part of my life. Where now rather than just being this big feeling that I'm facing, now it's this much more elusive feeling that is just everywhere. So excavating that grief in a way that allows me to deal with it in a healthy way has become far more complicated. Mm, And my mom didn't want a funeral because she didn't want to burden anybody, Mm. which was such an error. Like I should, like I listened to her, like out of respect and I should not have. She was wrong about that. Funerals are Mm. important for a reason. Like they give you a place to, in a consolidated, focused way, face grief. Mm. Um, And by not having that, by jumping right into tour and I was six months into a new relationship and it just... My career was moving and then there was just so many other things to focus on. Yeah. But I just didn't look at it. And now three years later, I feel like I'm starting to legitimately face it on purpose. Interesting. And it's a lot harder because it's it's not just dealing with the grief. It's dealing with how the grief has affected my ability to feel joy, how the grief has affected my ability to feel love, how it's affected my ability to like get lost in a moment. Yeah. Because Mm-hmm. The only Brene Brown is. Mm-hmm. So she talks in in um, Power of Vulnerability. She talks about emotions being a master dial, mm-hmm. which I really like. Like she talks about how we trick ourselves into thinking we can selectively turn down our emotions. Like mm-hmm. we can turn down grief, we can turn down pain, we can turn down resentment, we can turn down sadness. Yeah. But that really, like, when we try and turn down the feelings we don't want, we turn down the feelings we do want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can say from experience that that has absolutely happened. Oh yeah. Like wow. in my effort to not feel my grief, I have made it far harder for me to feel any of the things in my life that I actually do want to feel. Yeah. Like I don't feel as happy. I don't feel as excited. I don't feel as fulfilled because I didn't let myself feel any of that. So now I'm having to like retroactively go back and do all that. It's way more, it's way harder. Yeah. Yeah. Do you go to therapy? Yeah. Oh, it's weird. (laughs) Right? Uh Uh-huh. I do. Didn't you had to like go through several therapists to get to like yeah. The one, right? Although I recently missed a session and I was really embarrassed about it. So I, I haven't texted back my therapist because <laughs> I, I, I'm embarrassed that <laughs> okay. I missed a session without telling this her. This is your moment to publicly apologize and let your therapist know that. <laughs> I hope she doesn't listen to these things. <laughs> She's like, she I thought listen. our sessions were working. I guess not. Yeah, right. I missed one session and I just like felt shame so that I didn't go back. I so would clearly, do, I would do that same yeah. thing. But yeah, it's, it's all a, it's an in process situation. Like when I first found the therapist that I'm now allegedly seeing, although ghosted once and embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was like a month ago too. I need to text her. Maybe we do that after this. Maybe yes, we text her and then we R- go on yeah. Raya. Before Ryan Raya texts my therapist. Text yeah. Her. Yes. Yeah. Dear therapist, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I hope you can understand. You should because you know you're my therapist. But yeah, like 2018. 2018. When I started seeing this particular therapist, I hadn't seen one in a while and I really wanted to find one I liked. And the first five that I went to, I just thought were not for me. Yeah. To put it a nice way. Yeah. Kind of dumb. Like a couple of them were dumb. Like I'm not sure how they became qualified for this. (laughs) Right. Like this one dude who gave, who I got a song out of, this one dude, I told him this whole story about how I had like, (laughs) how I'd like gone to this this is a crazy story. It's been long enough. I'm going to tell you. This is so. This is what sparked me wanting to find my therapist. Okay. Uh, there's a song on my on my first album called "I Called I Shouldn't Be Here." Mm-hmm. Am I going to tell you the story or tell you the lyrics to the song? I'm going to tell you the lyrics to the song. Okay. okay. We'll fill fill in some details. So, lyrics to the song "I Shouldn't Be Here" are 
Um, it's like we paid a visit to a past life where I was still yours and you were mine and nothing had changed at all. I couldn't get it up for you the first time. Like my body knew it wasn't meant in you or maybe it was just the Adderall. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. That's first one, of course. Okay. And this is a story. <gasps> okay. Which, follow up question? Uh, no, I'm I think, just, yeah. I, I, let you, him, let yeah, him. I'm going to let you talk because, yeah. Go ahead. Sure. <laughs> like, what is he saying on this character right now? I just want to know where like, the therapist was just going to come into this. Yeah, so, well, the therapist came into this being very traumatic and me wanting to talk to someone about it. So, I, a friend, 2018, a friend of mine's like, yo, JP, I'm going to be <laughs> in uh, Sequoia National Park. We're going to swim the Kern River and do a bunch of mushrooms. Do you want to come? I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, cool. It's like, if you want to bring someone, like, bring whoever. Like, it's like a two and a half drive from, hour drive from LA. It'll okay. be fun. And in my head, my stupid head, I think, you know who I'm going to invite on this excursion? My ex-girlfriend, who I haven't spoken to in six months. Wow. And she goes? So I text her. We had not spoken in six months. And I text her and I say, hey, (laughs) this friend, who she knows, is going to do a bunch of mushrooms and swim up the Kern River. Do you want to come? She goes, yes. What? And I was like, Okay, I'll pick you up at 9 a.m. tomorrow. She goes, <laughs> sounds good. That was it. I hadn't talked to her in six months. That was the conversation. Stop. So then... It's your worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah. so then uh, we did this, and I uh, was so nervous, so I took like more Adderall than I should have. And then on the drive up there, there were certain side that we got carried away in a moment, and then we pulled over to the side of the road, and then okay, things didn't go the way I wanted them to go, and then yeah. I was fucking mortified and then i literally pulled off the side of the road and jumped in the river and like a moment of just immense i don't know what to do with myself and then she just laughed at me and then i got back in the car and then we did a bunch of mushrooms and have a really had a really beautiful day and uh after that i was like jesus that was such a fucked toxic adventure i need a therapist (laughs) so that's what originally caused you to seek therapy yes that series of Decision-making. Okay. okay. So then I booked like five appointments and told them all this story that I've just told you. And one of them, who I thought was the, the, the least useful, uh-huh. goes, well, it sounds like a learning experience. I was like, 180 an hour for learning experience? <laughs> Which is the first verse of my song, Explain You, where I go, my therapist called you a learning experience. 180 an hour. That's all that he mentions. Missing you is getting fucking expensive. <laughs> it's been 10 months now. There really ain't too much I figured out. There was just something about being wanted by someone who never knew what they wanted. Wow. And that was one of my first like, songs to do. Well. Oh my. I got a bunch of songs out of that adventure. Uh, yeah. I bet. I bet. Yeah. How did the rest of the weekend go? So the river was great. Everything was a metaphor. Because when I do drugs, everything's a metaphor. Uh-huh. Also, when I don't do drugs, everything's a metaphor. All right. <laughs> They're just like louder with uh, psychedelics, uh, <laughs> which is the second verse of that song. It's uh, everything's a metaphor when you're up north on, dr- on drugs in a river with your ex-girl. We didn't think it through at all. Swimming upstream just to let the tide pull us back through it all, back through it all. Oh, wow. You did get some good material out of this decision. Yeah, it's really a dangerous reality that uh, occasional recklessness can result in effective art right yeah i really have made it a goal of my life to be able to make art that i love based on parts of my life i haven't fucked up Mm. because i don't want to depend on a life of toxicity pain remorse and resentment in order to write things that i like like Mm. i just i think the tortured artist trope is old and boring yeah Yeah. and i think i'm a good enough writer to make great art out of parts of my life that i love yeah but you know this was like I was like 24, 25, you know, we were, yeah, we were getting reckless. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So what happened afterwards? Uh, We drove back. We had a really beautiful conversation. You know, drugs wore off. We decided that maybe we shouldn't try doing that again. Okay. Despite my vote in favor. Okay. So it didn't rekindle anything. Not at that moment. Okay. There was a revisitation later. Okay. Which, um, you know, sometimes you just gotta, yeah, you you just gotta, run back into the house to make sure the thing that you think you've forgotten is not there yeah it's like Mm. when you lose love i think you treat it like leaving your keys somewhere like the first place to check is where's the last place you left it Mm. Mm -hmm. i think that makes perfect sense 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like I miss love. Let's check the last place I had it. Mm. Yeah. But if it's not there, just like if your keys are not in the drawer you thought they were in, right. if you keep going back to the same drawer, that no longer makes sense. Yeah. You check yeah. the last place you had it once. If it's not there, you have to look elsewhere. Yeah. That's true. That's good. Have you written a song about that? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's a song I wrote from a friend of mine. It's called For Emily. Okay. Uh, I was trying to give her advice on this girl who was being mean to her. And I was like, Emily, you're the best. And you deserve to be loved in the best way. Mm. And you are being loved in such a twisted way. Yeah. So there was this lyric I wrote. Um, I've got your back no matter what. Even if you fuck up. I know you're just looking for love in the last place you left it. Mm-hmm. I promise I get it. I just don't want to see you getting hurt again, going against the best advice of all your friends. Wow. And then it's random. Let's pick up the conversation about how you deserve better. I was happy when you left her and I really fucking hate her, but I swear I'd make an effort if she made you happy, but she doesn't make you happy. She's mm-hmm. hot and she's familiar, so you better treat you bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which happens. So you yeah. wrote that for somebody else? For Emily. Okay. The song's called For Emily. Okay. I love that. Maybe it was for myself a little bit. <laughs> yeah. That's sweet. Okay. Last little. That just, was such a tangent. I loved it. I, I feel like this one. whole episode's been a tangent, but I'm here yeah. for it. I'm here for it. That's, a lot of side that's how my brain works. But I do want to know, like, I mean, obviously, songwriting is literally your life and you're able to, you know, take all of these experiences that you've had and put them, mm-hmm. articulate them into lyrics that then become a song. I do love that you did bring up you know being able to write about like the happy functional things in your life not just the Mm -hmm. you know the traumatic things because i do always wonder that but what like role has songwriting played in in your life from the healing processes of you know losing your mom relationships what what has that been able to kind of provide for you I mean, I've written one song about my mom which i'm happy exists it's called sing myself to sleep it's the last song of my first album and it's the only song I've ever, I've never performed on stage. Mm. I just, yeah. I don't know what I play after it. Yeah. It's hard to segue in and out of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, songs have been such an integral part of so much of my life that it's yeah. hard to boil it down. But I will say songs, there's this phenomenon I've noticed recently where when you first write a song, it can be so healing to take a emotion that's inside of your body and yeah. then put it in something outside of you like to externalize this thing that you're dealing with. It just feels like you've cleared space in your chest. Yeah. And then it exists outside of you. And then that's really lovely and useful for like eight to 16 months. And then when that feeling is genuinely now out of you, but if that song is out in the world, now you're performing that song and the same song that took the feeling out of you is now putting it back into you every time you sing it. Yeah. Notice that happening. Yeah. I've actually always wondered about that. Is it like, scary being so like open like in your songs and stuff because you literally like the life experience you literally just told us about this story is literally like the lyric is that like it is is that scary i mean the i have played that that particular song does make my friends laugh yeah (laughs) um i would imagine yeah i I, i i've i've when I first wrote that song and I played it for people, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. It's like, it was traumatic. So let's put it in the song and then it'll become funny. Um, and it did. It worked. I would say every job comes with its professional hazards, right? Yeah. Like, if you're a football player, your professional hazard is concussions. Yeah. If you're a singer-songwriter, your professional hazards is people knowing a little bit more than you'd like them to about the things in your life that scare the shit out of you yeah Yeah. and i love being a songwriter like i love being an artist and i love that because i talk about parts of my life that aren't the most comfortable yeah people want to talk to me about the parts of their life that aren't the most comfortable Mm -hmm. i like that wherever i go in the world people come to shows and want to talk to me about the shit that they're really feeling and really going through because like in any conversation, when someone tells you something personal about themselves, the inclination as a human is to tell them something personal about yourself back. Yeah. So are there emotional hazards? Definitely. Does every job come with some bullshit that you have to navigate? Also, definitely. I would not trade it for the world mm. because it gives me a life um, void of small talk. Yeah. Because people want to talk to me about what they're really dealing with. Yeah. I love that. 
That's very cool. This has been so fun. Yeah. Oh Thank my gosh. You. Thank you for being here. You have you have an awesome outlook on life that is um it's just really cool. Thanks, yeah. Taylor. Yeah. Y'all too. I appreciate getting to kick it with y'all in your home and being so welcoming and kind. Oh, absolutely. You come over whenever you'd like. Appreciate it. I have to bring Boba then. Okay, next bring time the we'll Boba. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for squeezing us into your day. Please be sure to rate, review, and follow our pod and check out full episodes on YouTube. You can follow me at Taylor Lautner, my lovely wife at Tay Lautner. Check out The Squeeze on Instagram at The Squeeze. And also give a give a little uh, glance and a follow to Lemons by Tay. That's at Lemons by Tay on Instagram and LemonsbyTay.com. And also be sure to email us, lautner.thesqueezepodcast at gmail.com if you guys have any questions, any guests you'd like to see. We've gotten some interesting emails so far, which has been awesome. But most importantly, please continue to talk about your journey with those around you and send our show to a friend that you think could use a little extra squeeze in their life. Absolutely. Toodles magoodles, everyone. Magoodles. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.